This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Episode number 42 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. In our last Unformidable, we took a look at the sad serendipity of episode number 41 coming out right at the passing of our, our number 41, the franchise, Tom Seaver. We look back at his rookie season teammate and rookie card neighbor, Bill Dennehy. I'm not going to make a habit of this. I mean, I really can't as we get to the higher uniform numbers. Though I promise if, I, if I'm on the air, if I'm on the pod until unformidable number 99, I will celebrate by doing a Turk Wendell episode. But, of course, number 42 is one of, um, if not the most iconic number in sports. Retired across baseball to honor the great barrier-breaking Jackie Robinson, so I thought I'd take this opportunity to take a look at the last Met to come up to the team. Well, technically, I can't actually say the last Met to make his debut sporting the number 42, uh, but really the last Met to begin his career wearing that number for the Met organization. He's actually, sadly, in my humble opinion, the penultimate Met to sport the number on the playing field as a Met, aside from days honoring Jackie Robinson where the whole team wears number 42 and of course I'm talking about slugging prospect and met for several years Butch Husky. Robert Leon Butch Husky was born on November 10th 1971 probably not called Butch at uh, his birth so Robert Leon Husky born November 10th 1971 in Anadarko Oklahoma. I didn't know he was a Robert until I started researching this podcast. Uh, Although, to be honest, while Robert's a wonderful name, Butch is very appropriate. Like most Harry Potter characters or a Dick Tracy villain, Butch Husky pretty much walked into my consciousness as the most aptly named athlete I had ever seen. He was just a big, broad, uh, husky fellow, shall we say. So it might not surprise to learn that Husky, who was raised near Anadarko in Lawton, Oklahoma, 
as one of nine children, was not just a high school baseball star, he was also an all-state tight end in high school, who actually earned a scholarship to play college football for the University of Oklahoma. So clearly a football prospect as well, but Juan Uribe would be proud because Bochesky essentially said he didn't want to talk about goddamn football. In an interview with a hometown paper in Oakland in 1999, Husky said uh, professional baseball was always his dream, and that was what he wanted to pursue. So the young man who uh, decided to forego that scholarship and hope to enter the baseball draft, he grew up a Texas Ranger fan, uh, being in nearby Oklahoma, attended four tryout camps at the ballpark in Arlington prior to the draft, and thought he had a good rapport with some of the Rangers officials, so he thought he had a good chance to end up there. But Husky got a bit of a surprise when it was the New York Metropolitans who made him their seventh-round draft pick in the 1989-June MLB draft out of his hometown, Lawton, Oklahoma, Eisenhower High School. Husky could certainly hit, and or hit for power, and became a notable prospect. Uh, after two years in rookie ball, he broke out at the age of 19 in 1991 in the Sally League, where he had 26 homers, drove in 99 RBIs, uh, and actually he also stole 22 bases. Uh, you know, let's not forget he was a tight end, uh, husky but athletic. And uh, all these numbers and his young age uh, caused the young slugger to be ranked number 54 in Baseball America's prospect rankings prior to the 1992 season. That was actually the highest he ranked in Baseball America's rankings. He was significantly less dynamic the following year in high A ball, but he did bounce back with a solid season in double A in 1993. Uh, that year, he won one of three double day awards as, uh, in the, his level as the minor league player of the year. When the rosters expanded in September, a putrid Mets squad brought the prospect up for a cup of coffee. It's a major league experience. Husky primarily played third base in the minors, and while not an excellent glove anywhere, that was probably his best position, which uh, would be a problem in his Met career, as he would rarely play third base in his career. Uh, he did manage to, though, as a 21-year-old, making his major league debut on September 8, 1993, as the Mets' starting third baseman in that game. So he played third base where he rarely played, and as I alluded to in the beginning, fun side note, he actually wore number 10 in his debut, as apparently the team didn't have a number 42 uniform ready for him for his debut. I uh, couldn't, I just, uh, that was Husky's quote in an interview he gave somewhat recently with Howie Rose. I don't know how the team called him up and didn't have a uniform ready for him, but uh, it all sounds very mitzy, so... I shan't question it any further. But Husky would not record a hit in his debut, going 0 for 3, but he wasn't alone in that, as Butch Husky's debut game, the New York Mets were no hit by the Astros' Daryl Kyle, so he, his teammates joined him in taking the 0 for. Uh, in a game the team lost 7-1, to 1. yes, they did score a run. I remember watching the game. I, I don't remember many of the details, but I remember being angry we were getting no hit, uh, not even realizing it because we scored the run. Uh, Jeff McKnight, oh boy, there's a 
there is a potential and formidable candidate, uh, walked and advanced three bases on a wild pitch uh, error on the throw, trying to catch him advancing to third. So the Mets had, in that game of Butch Husky's debut, they put up an exciting one run, no hits, three errors line score, which was very appropriate for the 1993 team as they dropped their record to a scintillating 47-93 and as they lost Butch Husky's debut. Husky would actually record his first two career RBIs before recording his first hit. He knocked in a run with a sacrifice fly two days later on September 11th, 1993, then also recorded a second sacrifice fly in the fourth inning against the Cubs on September 12th before blooping a single to right off of the Cubs' William Brennan in the fourth inning of that game on September 12th for his elusive first major league hit, raising his average to 091. Husky did not get a large look that 93 season. Uh, he had 44 plate appearances, went 6 for 41 uh, in that 1993 cup of coffee. Three RBIs, one walk, 13 strikeouts. So he did struggle at age 21. It was a 330 OPS and a negative 11 OPS plus. So not an auspicious debut. But uh, again, as a young man, a lot of power potential that the Mets had some hope for. And in the 1993 offseason, Howard Johnson and the Mets finally parted ways. So you might have thought Husky had a, had a shot to compete for the job, but the Mets brain trust had the bright idea of moving Bobby Bonilla from the outfield from right, I believe, to third base. So Husky spent all of 1994 in the minors, uh, which might not have been might have been warranted given his struggles in 93, and he also struggled a lot in AAA in 1994, uh, only a 637 OPS and 10 home runs. So Husky might not have earned a September call-up in 1994, but we'll never know, as, of course, there was no September baseball in the ill-fated 1994 season. So perhaps some of the bloom was off the prospect rose, and in fact the 23-year-old Husky was, unfortunately for him, bypassed to, to an extent on the organizational depth chart by another young third baseman, as the 21-year-old Edgardo Alfonso would actually spend most of the 95 season at that position for the Amazons. However, Husky bounced back himself. He had an excellent 1995 in Norfolk, uh, acclimated to AAA, and his bat again gained him some notice. So the Mets essentially called him up what wound up being essentially for good in August of 1995 to start a three-plus year run in the majors for the Met organization. Uh, he came up initially because Alfonso had a minor injury. Um, so again, he, he wasn't really a mega-hyped prospect at this point, but obviously people were enamored with his power potential. Um, and while he struggled a bit, he did hit his first career home run in his third game. And a game that is a game, listeners, that I attended, and it certainly made you take notice of Butch Husky. He had his first career home run uh, off of Hideo Nomo, who was quite a sensation at that time. I think it was his rookie year, uh, if I remember correctly. It was August 20th of 1995 at Shea Stadium uh, in the seventh inning. It was a clutch insurance run in a game where the young Generation K starter, I love saying Generation K, uh, it's entertaining, 
uh, Jason Isringhausen outdueled Hideo Nomo. I remember it was a day game on a weekend. I remember being very excited to see Nomo pitch live and probably also to see the Dodgers' phenomenal Mike Piazza, who went a quiet one for four in that game to drop his average to 357 on the year in late August. And little did I know I'd be watching Mike Piazza at Shea Stadium years later and cheering him on. Um, But though I probably went as much or more to see those stars and, you know, see the Mets and the Dodgers, always an exciting matchup. The most memorable thing to me in that game was the Bochesky home run that hit off the old Jumbotron way out over the left field bleachers. It was an absolute blast that hit that Diamond Vision screen uh, where... You know, it once read, congratulations, Boston Red Sox, uh, 1986 World Champions with two outs in 1986. Uh, I'm sure you all know the, not, not the giant right field scoreboard, but the left field jumbotron. It's quite a blast, but Chesky hit it. Uh, I'm sure everything about his first career home run was memorable, but perhaps most memorable for Husky, I might imagine, is that he was greeted at home plate by a good friend as the Mets backup catcher in 95, uh, Kelly Stinnett, was batting behind Husky, and he actually also hailed from Lawton, Oklahoma. Uh, the two grew up together. They were rivals in high school. Uh, Stinnett was the starting quarterback on Lawton's state championship high school team. They outdueled Husky, but of course, as two of the star athletes in town coming from the same hometown, and they continued to live there while they were in the minors and early in their careers. The two bonded, became close, and trained together in off-seasons. Uh, Stinnett would get traded by the Mets in the off-season, so the two wouldn't remain teammates for long, but they were indeed uh, lifelong friends, as I gleaned from researching this podcast. I thought that was cool when I noticed that he would have been batting behind Husky when he launched that home run. The team might not have wanted Kelly Stinnett, but the Mets did want that bat in the lineup with the potential that, you know, launching 400-plus foot home runs portends. Uh, But the Mets, they did have Alfonso. They signed uh, Ray Ordonez in the offseason. They finally shipped Bobby Mania off to Baltimore. Uh, So Husky was expected to compete with Alfonso for third base in the 1996 season. But they, as I said, they also acquired uh, Ray Ardonez. So the Mets did what they do best, and they just shoved Husky into a position on the diamond that he pretty much had never played. Uh, with Ordonez coming on and obviously being the shortstop, the Mets moved Jose Vizcaino from second base to short. They moved Jeff Kent from second to third. Knowing Jeff Kent and the kind, understanding human being he seems to be, I'm sure he took that really well. And uh, Edgardo Alfonso kind of became a super utility type, uh, or that was the plan. So Husky was penciled in in 1996 as the team's right fielder. A very Daniel Murphy, Lucas Duda-esque move. You know, let's keep the bat in the outfield, and hey, anyone can play the outfield, right? But, uh, you know, the Mets wanted to get Husky's bat in the lineup, uh, So, but he was a player not accustomed to playing in the outfield, and... My did it show. Husky, uh, Rico Bronia did go down mid-season in 96 with an injury, so Husky was hidden at first base instead of uh, right field for the last half of the season. Uh, for the 96 season, he hit 278 
319 on base, 435 slugging, uh, 754 OPS, 101 OPS plus, so pretty much a league average bat. Not bad for a young player with prospect potential uh, or prospect pedigree, I guess, at that point at age 24. That 96 team was pretty random, and it, it did have a good offense. You had Hunley, Todd Hunley hitting his 41 home runs as a catcher. Uh, Bernard Gilkey and Lance Johnson's random great years. Uh, Jeff Kent, uh, not the power he flashed in San Diego, but had a good offensive year. But the pitching was putrid. Uh, Generation K faltered and or got injured. And finally, the Dallas Green lost his job in the Bobby V era began at Shea later that year. Uh, Husky had kind things to say about uh, Dallas Green in an interview, but he does, Husky just seems like a kind man, and, you know, he did mention that Dallas Green, who seemed like the quintessential hard-ass, uh, was very stern with him, and Green was probably a big part of the motivation of Husky getting sent to fat camp uh, at, by the Mets, which, you know, of course the Mets publicized and, you know, didn't try to humiliate a player in their organization at all. Uh, you know, they, 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 as always, the Mets didn't handle that incredibly well. Uh, but, you know, Husky's base running, uh, he, he did have speed. He was a tight end. He stole 22 bases in the minors, but his base running did him no favors. And in what would be a bit of the story of his career, if you look at those 96 numbers, his offensive contributions were, you know, according to Offensive War and Baseball Reference were 1.0, but they were overshadowed by his defensive inefficiencies and that he didn't really contribute many other places. He put up a negative 1.4 D war that year, uh, so his overall war for 96 was only 0.2. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Prior to the 97 season, the team cut ties with Bronya and made only one of the smartest, most underrated, most underappreciated moves in team history in acquiring John Olerud for Robert Person. And my brain frequently drifts off to an alternate history where the Mets kept Olerud after 99, we won, we win the World 2000 World Series, and... I argue as much about why John Olerud should be in the Hall of Fame as I do for Keith Hernandez, but I digress. Uh, at any rate, first base was pretty well spoken for. Husky didn't exactly excel there, but he definitely was more comfortable, it seemed, in the infield than the outfield. Uh, but the 23-year-old Alfonso had a breakout year in 97, uh, cementing his place in, as with Olerud and Ordonez and the soon-to-be-acquired Robin Ventura as the three-quarters of the greatest infield ever, minus Ventura. Uh, and so there really wasn't a place for Husky in the infield, so right field it was again for the defensively challenged Butch Husky. Uh, again, as Alfonso played 153 games at third and 97, and he ultimately would, would clearly make himself the Mets' third baseman uh, of the present and the future, well, until they 
signed Ventura and moved him to second, but Alfonso was such an adept infielder all over. It was a rare move where you weren't sacrificing a lot of defense. But at any rate, uh, Husky really didn't get to play much third. He really only played a couple of games at third base when Alfonso got dinged up early in the year, uh, but it worked very serendipitously because uh, those two games where Husky played at third base uh, were April 14th, where he hit his first homer of the year at his natural position of third base. And then again the next day uh, with Alfonso nursing a minor injury uh, on April 15th of 1997, Husky got to stride out to third base, uh, proudly sporting his chosen number 42 at Shea Stadium when Rachel Robinson and President Bill Clinton joined the Mets and the Dodgers and 54,047 fans in the ceremony that wound up officially retiring Robinson's number 42 across baseball. I remember watching the game, feeling you know quite proud myself that the ceremony was taking place at Shea. You know, and unlike the all-Dodger, no-Met visage that was Wil- the Wilpon 2009 City Field unveiling, just felt like a delightfully nice reminder that the Mets picked up that torch of National League Baseball and should be and were a, a small part of that history. It was, of course, announced prior to that game that no player would be issued number 42 again, meaning anyone currently playing would be grandfathered in, although I, I heard an interview afterward that Husky didn't know that, and he actually spent most of the game wondering if he would have to give up his number, which I thought was very entertaining. Uh, Husky, of course, would keep the number uh, for the most part uh, for the rest of his career, except when he went to teams where there already was a grandfathered number 42. Uh, Dennis Cook would give up number 42 when he was acquired by the Mets the following offseason in deference to Husky. Um, Sadly, as I mentioned earlier, Butch would not be the last Met to play with it as his primary uniform number. Uh, Movon was also grandfathered in with the number. He wore it when the Mets very misguidedly acquired him in 2002-2003. That's all I have to say about that. Um, Glad the Mets organization has learned their lesson about not importing aging veterans on the less successful back end of their career on ridiculous, enormous contracts. At any rate, I wish I could report that Butch homered on Jackie Robinson Day, but alas, he went one for four with three strikeouts, uh, but the Mets did win 5 nothing, raise, five, 5 nothing over the Dodgers, yeah, uh, raising their record to 4-9 and nine on the young season. Uh, more important, it was a wonderful, memorable uh, celebration of Jackie Robinson's life and career and, and honoring of him by baseball, which was incredibly well done from what I remember. And after Jackie Robinson Day, the team and Husky would rebound from what was a very slow start to the season for both of them. The team finished a surprising 88-74. If there were a second wild card in 1997, the Mets and the Dodgers would have tied for it. Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't much of a pennant race that year. Uh, The Braves and the Marlins ran away with the division and the only wild card back then in 97. Uh, the Mets actually closed within four of the Marlins by season's end, uh, but they began September seven games out and 
you know, didn't really get close until the end of the season when I think the Marlins clearly had it clinched and weren't going to catch the Braves. And back then, which was absurd, the wild card was really no different than winning the division. There was no advantage. So uh, I think the Marlins kind of slowed down the end of the year. It was just a nice, uh, like, wow, the Mets are a winning team again. How odd. But uh, there was no no pennant race or wild card race realistically. Uh, but you know, it was a good season for the team, and it was a very good season for Husky. He uh, continued to struggle in right field, but he had a career season. He hit 287, uh, only a 318 on base percentage, never drew enough walks really, uh, but a 503 slugging percentage, giving him an 822 OPS, a 114 OPS plus. And he hit 24 home runs that season, including some real tape measure shots. I do remember watching on TV also, and Husky hit a blast uh, on September 15th into the upper, upper tank, the 600 level of old veteran stadium against the Phillies. And I do remember making a big point that he became only the third player to do so, including Willie Stargell. Uh, Jim Tomey would do it after Husky, so only four players did it before uh, Veteran Stadium would be t- retired and torn down. Let me look up. I, I should have had this ready. Um, oh, as Ruben Rivera was the was the other player besides Stargell and Husky, uh, besides Stargell who had done it prior to Husky. It was a good season where he flashed some amazing power. A noted scout that offseason compared Husky in his youth to Mark McGuire, which, uh, of course, got a lot of a decent bit of press at the time, but seemed a little unfair uh, when the latter had hit 110 home runs the previous two seasons, and Husky had just coming off a career high of 24. Uh, little did we know, though, that 1998 would mark uh, the beginning of the end for Butch in the orange and blue. Uh, before the season, Husky and the Mets squabbled a bit about salary. Uh, the Mets had a, and Steve Phillips had a unilateral pre-arbitration player figure structure. The Mets with a with a rigid salary structure. Go figure. Uh, I'm, uh, Husky was unhappy with uh, what was offered, and there was a little spring training squawking, which I'm sure the Wilpons took just fine. Um, but while the team had an impressive, though, ultimately very disappointing at the end of the season, 1998. Huskies struggled and eventually ceded playing time in the outfield to late season stretch run acquisitions. Lenny Harris and Tony Phillips didn't really totally lose his job, but definitely seemed like there was a bit of a platoon slowdown in Huskies appearances. Uh, I I have to say here too, though, on a personal note, uh, I do remember that uh, my girlfriend at the time loved Butch Husky. I mean, we both did. He he just seemed very likable, but he was kind of her favorite. Um, the only time I ever got to attend baseball games in beautiful Montreal's Stade Olympique, uh, and I do mean to say that Montreal, the city, is incredibly beautiful. Not so much Stade Olympique, but it was a fun, fun visit to the city, and it was fun to see the Mets play in another country. I must admit, uh, I went in September of 1998. Uh, the Mets were in a wild card race. Uh, they had a big series with the Expos. Saw two games that they split, uh, but as and Husky didn't appear in either one. As noted, he had largely been supplanted 
But, you know, we went early to check out the stadium and check out the players, and Butch Husky could just not have been nicer when we went to the game early. Uh, we were delighted. Uh, my girlfriend in particular was delighted getting to chat with him for a few, getting an autograph, uh, incredibly friendly and gracious, um, especially, you know, I would say for someone who uh, had probably seen a dip in their playing time and maybe wasn't too happy professionally, uh, although it was on a team in a pennant race. But um, I always have good memories of meeting Bocheski, and it's always incredibly nice when you meet players and they're very gracious. God, Olympic Stadium itself was weird and fascinating. It, the, it was so empty, and the, the fans would bang the metal chairs, you know, because there were so many empty chairs as opposed to cheering. Uh, the Mets split the games. Uh, I, my vivid, most vivid memory is Vlad Guerrero hitting you know, however impressive Huskies home run uh, that hit the Jumbotron at Jay, Vlad Guerrero hit one that echoed through Olympic Stadium off of Rick Reed to dead center. It was a laser. Uh, it was really incredible. Uh, it was a fun place to see. I miss Montreal being in professional baseball, and I hope it comes back there someday. The Expos, uh, you know, while I, you know, remember Montreal baseball fondly, perhaps I shouldn't, because uh, like Huskies 98, the team's 1998 season ended disappointingly. Uh, the team lost their last five at home, two to the Expos. I went to both of those games, and they were just brutal, desultory losses, too. Then got swept by a Braves team that had already clinched the playoffs, uh, which helped the Cubs and the Giants past the Mets for a wild card play-in game. And as noted, Husky himself had regressed offensively. He hit only 252 that year with 13 homers, 59 runs batted in. The writing may have been on the wall anyway, but with a disappointing end to the season for both the player and the team. But in the 1998 offseason, the Mets reacquired Bobby Bonilla for Mel Rojas and Benia seemed ticketed for right field, uh, and that was confirmed when they followed it up by swapping out Butch Husky to the Mariners for relief pitcher Leslie Brea. Not that he, you know, probably merited uh, much more of a package at that point, but as always, an impressive utilization of player assets by the Mets, by, by the organization of a player who had a year before been compared to Mark McGuire. It is fascinating, though, how those players who are more hyped prospects, I think, get more rope, both both in the league and and in your imagination, because I definitely was not tired of Husky. I still thought, you know, he has a chance, and indeed, when he got to Seattle in 1999, he had a really good half-season, uh, first half of the year as a Mariner in 99. At one point in May... He was hitting like 360 with an OPS over 1,000, and I remember being irate that the Mets once again gave up someone who was clearly going to blossom into a star elsewhere, you know, and I think I picked him up in every fantasy league I was part of, as, you know, you'd, you'd do much like uh, real organizations in the, you know, hopefully just in the Wilpon era, and hopefully that's over, I, you know, I did think to myself, once a player leaves the Mets, he's probably going to do better. And for a little while, it seemed to be true for Husky. Uh, before he was traded, he I, I, over his half season as a Mariner, he hit 290. 
496 slugging percentage, uh, 849 OPS. Uh, and another highlight, another highlight uh, for Husky as a Mariner was that for the first time in his career, his small town family, including his mom, got to see him play live. Uh, not until 1999 did a large portion of his family get to see Husky play live when the Mariners visited the ballpark in Arlington. Uh, 15 friends and relatives made the trip from Lawton, Oklahoma to the game. Uh, again, in the same uh, paper where I saw his interview about his friendship with Kelly Stinnett, Husky mused to that local paper that it was, uh, quote, it was special for my mom and my sisters, never got a chance to see me. And Husky also mused that he thinks it was probably a good thing that the Mets selected him as he admitted that the game was very distracting. He was distracted going into the game, knowing that his family was there and having that, having the constant distraction of family nearby might've been a problem if the Rangers did indeed draft him saying that he was able to concentrate on baseball in the Mets system and generally expressing gratitude that he, uh, was drafted by the Mets, and indeed Husky has, you know, participated in Met fantasy camps and seems to have fond memories of his time with the team, even if he was, you know, disappointed to be traded, as he noted. Uh, and he would get traded for a second time shortly thereafter. Uh, in mid-season, uh, Seattle was slumping, and the Boston Red Sox were, of course, in the 1999 pennant race. So Husky was shipped to Boston, where he became a platoon DH, bat off the bench, and did very well for the Red Sox, hitting, let's see, seven home runs. Husky hit seven home runs down the stretch for the Red Sox and only 124 at-bats. He had a huge pinch hit home run against Mike Stanton in the eighth inning of a game at Yankee Stadium to give the team the lead and help them beat the Yankees. 11 to 10 in what really just sounds like the quintessential Yankee Red Sox game of that era. And the 1999 season provided Husky his only playoff experience as he went one for five in both the ALDS versus Cleveland and one for five in the ALCS against the Yankees as both Husky and his former team very sadly fell one round short of meeting up again in what would have been a Great World Series rematch and a much more fun World Series than the one that 1999 gave us. In 2000, Husky signed with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, the goal was for him to be their primary DH, and hopes were high after his strong 1999 season. I, I believe I was, you know, <laughs> sorry to go back to that, I believe I was very high on Butch and Fantasy that year. Uh, again, always draft ex-Mets, or that was, that was always a philosophy. Uh, but he struggled in Minnesota, and the Twins gave up on him quickly and traded him to Colorado, uh, which I can't help but think sounds very exciting fantasy-wise for a power prospect. Uh, Husky did actually do well in Colorado, but he had limited playing time. Uh, he signed with the Cleveland Indians organization in the offseason. Uh, on January 26, 2001, he signed with them. Uh, but he failed to make the team in spring training and was going to get sent down to AAA. Perhaps Husky was tired of the grind and the travels and the frequently getting traded, but after not making the team, Husky decided to simply retire at the age of 29. So for his career, uh, Husky recorded 
uh, 0.9 war, according to baseball reference. He had 2,078 at-bats, uh, 86 career home runs. Uh, he hit 267 uh, with a 318 on-base percentage, 442 slugging, uh, 760 OPS, and actually for his career, 96 OPS plus, so uh, drip, do, uh, dropped a little below uh, league average. I'm a little surprised to see that. Poor Butch. Uh, he spent parts of five years as a Met. Uh, that was obviously the bulk of his major league career. Uh, he hit 55 of his home runs as a Met and slashed 264, 306, 434 as a Met, 740 OPS, and a 95 OPS plus. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, defense was always was the antithesis of the hallmark of Husky's career. So measured just by offensive war, Husky put up a 2.2 more over his career, but his defensive war of negative 4.0 uh, mitigated that and led to that uh, 0.9 career war, but uh, you know, solid and uh, impressive in its own right major league career. Uh, recently, Husky was interviewed by Howie Rose, uh, as I mentioned, and that's kind of where I gleaned that he did remember his time with the Mets fondly, even though he uh, was disappointed at the trade, and even though he had some struggles adjusting early and with Dallas Green, and as I said, my, my highlight of that interview, it's pretty easy to find on YouTube and very entertaining, and I think you could see kind of what a kind, gentle soul Husky seems to be, uh, but was that kind of anecdote that, you know, he wore 42, of course, in honor of Jackie Robinson, and that when Bud Selig made that announcement, it was actually a surprise. I guess baseball really wanted to keep that a surprise, that they were retiring 42 across baseball. So yes, he spent most of the game thinking he would have to pick a new number as it wasn't really clear about the grandfathering in uh, for people who already wore the number. Uh, but he did indeed uh, acknowledge, uh, confirm that he wore 42 in honor of Jackie Robinson, You know, wrote reports about him in high school, revered him, and that he took that opportunity on April 15th of 1997 to thank Rachel Robinson, you know, just in lieu of being able to thank Jackie and Rachel Robinson autographed Butch Husky's 42 jersey from April 15th, 1997, and Butch still has that hanging in his home. And you probably won't be surprised from the multiple mentions of Lawton that that home of Butch Husky's is in Lawton, Oklahoma. Uh, you may have gathered from <clears throat> the fact that his family didn't attend a game until he was in Texas, and that you know, he would go back there in the offseason that uh, it's just a place that Husky loves and is uh, raved about in uh, multiple interviews that, you know, it's just a place where people are close and it's a good place to raise a family. So, which Husky, homebody, who knew? I mean, hey, I always wind up coming back to my quaint little hometown, too. It just turns out that that hometown is New York City. So, I understand, but... Uh, there, I couldn't find much about his uh, current life or career. I, I did read, you know, that Husky is involved in the town of Lawton. He donates time and money, uh, in particular, to improve the city's recreational options for teenagers. And as mentioned, he's participated in a couple of Met fantasy camps in winter and spring in Florida, and probably is enjoying life uh, back home in Oklahoma, I hope.
but for a few unformidable years there, uh, Butch Husky and his power bat uh, tantalized and occasionally entertained, sure, occasionally frustrated, but uh, often entertained Met fans and gave them some hope. And as Husky said in his interview with Howie Rose, he felt like uh, he and some of his teammates helped start to lay the foundation for the more successful uh, late 90s Mets teams. And it's definitely an era of teams, that Bobby V era, that's remembered fondly. And, you know, for me, uh, as is the unformidable Butch Husky. Thank you for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to them and leave a review uh, wherever possible. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets!